Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Well, I know a lot of you, you there are a lot of people that I'm, I'm talking with that are just walking through some really challenging times. Uh, there, there seems to be uh, hopelessness just seems to be eating away at people. Uh, a lot of people just feel stuck, just like, I don't know what to do. It feels like some people feel like every possible move they could make involves such risk, they're just locked down and afraid to even take a step. And so a lot of people, and uh, this could be in your, in your home, your, your relationships, your business, or your spiritual life, just you're, you're kind of on lockdown. You're on your own lockdown because everything just seems too crazy around you, and you're basically immobilized. So I'm going to talk about what to do uh, if you're finding yourself in a situation like this. And maybe you're not, but this is going to be a word of encouragement for you to share with some other people because it's time for us to understand that we can bust out of this and we can mobilize. So mobilize is the name of my message today, and mobilize is an important word for us as a church this year as well. Now, I, I originally... I originally had this sermon set up with the title, Mobilize or Die. And, and I liked the title, but then as I was getting ready to put it out, I was like, that sounds kind of scary. I mean, it almost sounds like a threat, doesn't it? It's like, I'm gonna, uh, but, but the essence of this message is Mobilize or Die. But I, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not making a threat. And I'm not, I'm not, so don't be scared of anything like that. But I wanted it to be Mobilize or Die, but... It's just mobilize. That's, that's, that's the, the name of the message today. You know, the most dangerous national park in America, it is the Grand Canyon National Park. It's a very dangerous place. Uh, over 900 people have lost their lives at Grand Canyon and, uh, and, you know, since it opened up. And it's a, it is a dangerous place. I, I know that for a fact. been there many times, and, and I understand a lot of things about that canyon. Uh, most of the deaths are actually, not, people think it's because people fall into the canyon or fall. Well, actually, there are only usually like maybe, maybe only two to three deaths per year like that. And I still know that that's a lot. But, but only two to three deaths per year actually happen from people falling. But usually it happens from people who get heat exhaustion, and they, they don't know really. They don't know what they're going to experience below the rim of the canyon, and the weather can be absolutely insane down there. And uh, I, uh, I planned this trip eight years ago. Eight years ago, I planned this with my sons, and it was going to be a trip that I, that I wanted to take while, while they were all still at home, and, and, and so we took, uh, we took a little over a week, about a week and a half, and we planned this trip where we went to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. It's very remote up there. How many of you guys have ever been to the north rim, not the south? The nor- you're a north rim. <laughs> good, good. Nice place up there, isn't it? It is such a... I, I love going up there, and I've not been actually in eight years, so there's part of me that wants to go back, but I would have to take my wife camping with me up there, and so I, I don't know. We'd have to talk through it. I know you'd be willing to, but please understand, in the mornings when you wake up, it is like 25 degrees or 30 degrees. It's, it's very cold. So 
In the north rim of the Grand Canyon is 8,000 feet is, is the altitude, so it does get pretty cold there. In fact, it's closed most of the year because you can't get in and out because of the snow. But, uh, but I've, I've planned these trips many times and taken my, taken my kids up there, but this time we, we were going to do this trip. We're going to hike from the top all the way down to the bottom and then back up to a campsite. And it was, it was going to just simply be a two-day trip, so we we're going to spend one night in the canyon. But uh, that first day, and that, that was actually a 33-mile hike, just so that you understand the, the impact of it. 33-mile hike. So we, um, and, and in order for us to do this, on day one, which was the first day was 17 miles, we had to go uh, descend 5,500 feet, which, by the way, happens to be four Empire State Buildings. So if you take four Empire State Buildings, stack them up, that's how far we had to descend, and then we, that's, that gets you down to the river, but then from there, we have to ascend back up. Uh, we had to go back up another 1,500 feet, which is another Empire State Building, to get to the place where our campsite was. And you have to camp in these certain areas, or they come and do mean things to you, or something like that. I, I, I don't know. But, but it was an intense, intense uh, journey, because leaving there at the top of the Grand Canyon, and you've got to have all the right supplies, but you can't pack too heavy, <laughs> because it is a long hike. And, uh, and as we were Leaving, it was 30, uh, 31 or 32 degrees as we left the, the top of the canyon. So it was cold. It was cold out, like, like today. And so, but by the time we made it down to what's called the inner gorge, which is where there are high canyon walls, it's real narrow in there, the sun shines down, and, and, and some of the walls are like black. It's like, it's like, it's likened into an oven. And the temperature, uh, we, I kept a little temperature thing, had a little thermometer with me. I kept it around my neck to watch the temperature because if you're going to hike in the canyon, you need to know what you're really dealing with because you get tricked by, by uh, what's going on around you. I, but to check that little temperature, and by the time we were in what's called the inner gorge, the temperature was 130 degrees. So under, understand this, within 10 hours or so, eight, eight to 10 hours, the temperature had, had risen from 30 degrees to 130 degrees, 100 degree difference. In, and so by that time, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're taking your time, but you've got to get through the inner gorge, which is the oven. You got like, you got to go through the oven to get to the next place. You can't stop there. And, and so we finally get all the way to the bottom, go back up to our camping area, and then come back down off the camping area, which is another 16 miles down and back up to the top of the, uh, Grand Canyon for day number two, and and and, and what I've what I've done every time I've taken my boys with me out there, I've, I've brought along a book, and the book is called Death in the Grand Canyon, and and it talks about all the various stories through the years, and and it was it's kind of fun, but it's also scary, and I brought it with me on purpose to say this is a serious place. We don't mess around out here, because here are the stories of where people have died. So we would literally do this, literally do this on on these these trips, but I would find the different places from the book of where people had died, and so we would go to those places and read the story of what happened to people. We look at it like, and it happened here, dun, 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 and, and, and it was, it was, but the, the whole purpose in that was not just the drama of it, but it was to teach them and to remind myself that this is a dangerous place. It is, it is the deadliest, of course, of all of the, uh, the national parks. 
And, and you, when, you, when you go in there, you have to have a healthy respect and fear for what's really there so that you can get out alive. Now, in, in preparation for this particular hike, which was extremely intense, the most intense physical thing I have done in my life, and I don't ever want to do that particular one again, but, uh, but as I was doing that, as, as I was preparing for it, I was reading a lot from other people who have done this similar hike, and, and one of the things that, that you have to do is you just have to say, my goal is to get out alive. My goal is to get out of the canyon alive, to sit your foot back on the top of the rim, get out alive. And that's the focus. In fact, uh, there, there's this one place that, that, you're, that we are going to, like coming down on the second day, going back up. There's about a halfway point, about halfway up, called Cottonwood. They call it Cottonwood Camp. And it sounds really nice, the Cottonwood Camp. You get to stop there. Really, all that's there are some trees, which is kind of nice because you get a little bit of shade. But you kind of picture this beautiful thing, and there's a little, a little stream that goes by, and, oh, it just feels so nice. And it's pretty and picturesque, but it's just stinking hot, and it is miserable. But, but you get to that one little spot, and there are some shade trees. And, and, and going back up, we, we sat and we ate for a while and, and go back to the, to the stream and filtered water because you don't want to drink your water unfiltered, and you certainly can't hike all of your water in. That's, that's ridiculous. That doesn't work. But we had to go back and you know, filter the water and, and fill up our bottles. And, and during that time, we took about a two-hour break there at the Cottonwood Camp. And, but at a certain point, I realized we can't stay here any longer because if we stay here, we're going to put ourselves in a very dangerous situation because we've got to get out of this canyon while there's still sunlight because as soon as the sun goes down and we're getting up high, it's going to be dropping down. According to the forecast, it would have been down into the 20s. And, and so you're hiking from you know, 100 degrees up into the 20s, and you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. And I, I'll tell you, the, probably the last five miles of that hike, it was psychologically a psychological game that I had to play with myself. And, and we, we talked amongst my boys of how to, how to get out of the canyon alive, and it was this strategy right here. Just take one more step. Just take one more step. And you take that step, and then you tell yourself, okay, just one more step. Ah, I did it. Just one more step. I did it. I just one more step. And your feet are just are, are uh, just, just covered with blisters, and, and you, yeah, my, my knees were like swollen and, and exhausted, totally exhausted. Just knowing, though, that I had to get out of the canyon, and we made it out. We made it out alive. And knowing that there's food and there's a tent at the top of the, 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 uh, the rim, that was the reward for that. It's just got to get out of the canyon alive. And uh, I know you didn't go on that trip with me, but you might be in what feels like an impossible situation because there were times during that trip, during that particular hike, that I just thought, this, uh, we can't do this. I, and in fact, at various times, the boys would say, we, we can't. We just can't anymore. I can't. I can't. I can't. It's like, yes, you can. We can, we can do this. Come on, we're just going to walk a few more yards. We're just going to hike a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And, and that feeling takes over you. Well, I, I, I'm just am going to give up. Maybe you feel like everything's going wrong, and your hopes and dreams are shattered. Maybe you feel like God is a million miles away from you. You possibly even feel like God is silent. Have you ever felt that way? I, I felt that way before. It's like, God, are you there? I mean, I, I feel like, you, I, I don't know if you're even talking or not. Uh, there are times when you feel like God is silent when you're going through a really, really tough time. And what do you do? 
Well, there's a story about something very similar, and that's why I had you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, because we're going to address this and look at this and see what God will show us today. Now, a little bit of background here. This happens in the nation of Israel. That's the divided kingdom, uh, Israel and Judah. They, they, they had actually divided into two separate kingdoms. And the capital of Israel, which was considered the northern kingdom, was Samaria. Samaria was the capital, so that's where this, this story is happening. Uh, there is this... There is this nation that hates Israel at this particular time, and the nation is Aram, A-R-A-M, also known as Syria. And, and they hated Israel. There was this, the king, the king went by the name Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad was kind of like, a, there are lots of Ben-Hadads in the, in the Bible that came from that Syria uh, area. And, and really, that's more like a, a title, kind of like president or prime minister or king or something like that. So, but there's this, this term, King Ben-Hadad, he, uh, he was coming down to try to take Israel and laid siege to the city of Samaria. So they surrounded it so nobody could come in, nobody could go out, and this stayed that way for a long time. And at a certain point, you're going to have famine, you're going to have a bad situation inside, uh, inside the city. Israel's king at the time was Joram. Uh, Joram was the son of the very, very infamous Ahab and Jezebel, very, very wicked leaders. That, but this was their son, Joram. And Joram was considered to be a little bit better than, than his parents, but he was still a very evil, wicked man. The, uh, the, the main prophet during that time was Elisha, and, and he had prophesied these various things, and Joram didn't like him. Joram wanted to kill him. In fact, if, I'm not going to read all the story. You can read it on your own, but Joram is out to kill Elisha because of the siege that's going on. He thinks that Elisha made it happen, which was actually his own evil deeds that caused it to happen, uh, King Joram. But, but you can just see that things are not all that good. Now let's take a look at it. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. Let's pick up on this story because I want you to see the, the horrible situation they were in. So sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. Now, there's no way for us to fully understand the, the monetary amounts here, but we'll just say that's a lot of money. And a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, Help me! My lord, the king, the king replied, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? In other words, I have nothing I can do for you. Why don't you talk to God? <laughs> from, the freshen, from the threshing floor, from the wine press? And then he asked her, what's the matter? And she answered, okay, get ready. This woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him, but she has hidden him. Yeah. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes and he went along the wall. The people looked, and they saw that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body, so he was just in a state of total 
morning. This is an extreme economic disaster. It's a famine. And they had, result, they had resorted in the city to cannibalism, literally eating their own babies. That's a bad situation. And some of you say, might say, you know what, that's about like the situation I'm in, in right now. And, and see, for them, there was no way out. They're, they're, these were desperate times. Nothing looked good. And people acting out, people doing crazy things. And maybe that's where you find yourself right now. Like, I don't know what to do. Nothing looks good. There's no way out of this mess that I'm in right now. Well, the story goes on, and I'm going to have you uh, look down at chapter 7, verse 3. We're going to pick it up there in just a second. Chapter 7, verse 3 picks up on kind of a different setting. Same story, different setting. Uh, In chapter chapter 7, verse 3, we see that they are now outside of the city gates. There are these four lepers who are living outside the city gates. Now, uh, they had leprosy. They weren't allowed to be in the city. And, and so that, that was where they had to, that was basically where they had to live. Uh, leprosy is a horrible disease. Some of you know a little bit about it. And, uh, of course, I think everybody in Texas knows that armadillos carry leprosy. That's why we don't play with armadillos, right? You guys know that, right? Yeah. Okay, so you don't play with armadillos. But, uh, but, but these, uh, but these, this leprosy, that, that, that was just extra. That was just extra. It has nothing to do with the sermon. Don't play with armadillos. And if that's the one thing you take out of this, well, God bless you. You know, I, I, good, good for you. But these were beggars with a death sentence. Their, their skin was literally rotting away. What happens with leprosy is your skin just begins to, uh, your, your flesh begins to rot away and, and your fingers just begin to fall off, your fingers and your toes and, and your, your, your flesh just begins hanging off of you. It is, it is a slow, agonizing, miserable death. And so what they did is they took those people and said, you've got to stay separate from the others because we don't want to catch what you have. They had no idea how it was being transmitted in those days. So they were just stuck. They were stuck. So here you have these lonely, isolated, rejected people who are going through unbelievable misery on their own. And so you might feel kind of like one of those lepers right now. You might feel like, like everything just keeps getting worse like day by day by day. It just keeps getting worse. It's more and more bleak. And, and you don't know what to do. You, you don't know what you're going to actually do for the next day. People are abandoning you because, you know, you looked good a while ago, but now you look bad, so I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And your bad situation just continually, continually erodes on you. You get in the picture? Some of you might feel like you are there right now. But I want to challenge you to get mobilized for a miracle because that's what the lepers did. Okay, take a look at it. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of of the city gate. Okay, now, now this is the key, this is the key, these are the key statements of this entire sermon right here. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? That's why I wanted to name the sermon Mobilize or Die, okay? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. Let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender and if they spare us, we live and if they kill us we die so at dusk they got up and went to the camp of the arameans 
Now, we're going to take a look at the, the, those words here in just a few minutes, but let's keep reading along because I want you to see what happens. It says, when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents and they ate and drank. And they took silver and gold and clothes and they went off and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and took some things from it. And then they hid that also. And then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment might overtake us. So this is all happening at night. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city's gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp, and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. So everything changed for these afflicted men, as well as the entire city. They really understand this. They had death sentences on their life. There was nothing, nothing, but they they took action, they mobilized, and things shifted. I want you to look down at verse 16. 2 Kings 7, 16, because now you're going to see how the entire city was blessed. This economic crisis, this famine was over in a day. It says, Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a seah of the finest flour sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said, which everything was back to normal prices. Everything changed. Everything changed. But you see, these lepers... Even though they were stuck, they took action, they moved, and something amazing happened. So what, what are you going to do? If you're stuck, what are you going to do? I, first thing I think you need to do is accept the fact that if you're going to stay immobilized, and if you're going to be immobilized, that is going to take you nowhere. Because being immobilized is just going to keep you locked down where you are. Progress is only going to happen as you take action. You're not going to get there with happy thoughts, and, and I know that when you're feeling like everything is just cascading on you, it just feels like, man, I, I just can't move. I can't do anything. And that is a huge temptation. But I'm warning you, that's not what to do. I, it's like the Grand Canyon cotton, uh, Cottonwood Camp. As nice as that sounds and as, really, as barren as it really is, that's kind of like the best place to be. So I think we'll just sit here. I mean, the boys are saying, Dad, let's not go up. Can't we just camp here? Can't we just stay here? It's like, you can't. We can't. We can't. We have to keep moving. We have to. We have to. So you can't just camp out where you are because things look bleak. Because what happens then is death will occur if you do nothing. And let me say that again because that's what the Scripture is saying. Death will occur if you do nothing. And maybe for you it's the death of a vision, it's the death of a relationship, possibly it's the death of your purpose or death of, of, of a ministry. But Death is going to happen if you don't take some action. Just like what they said in, in chapter 7, verse 4. They said, if we stay here, we will die. If we stay sitting still, we're going to die. I'm, I'm telling you guys, sitting still is about the worst thing you can possibly do. Because you are not going to get better at all. 
And for some of you, this is a big revelation for you, and I need you to hear this. And God is speaking to you right now. Several years ago, a few years ago, I had, I'd had an accident right out here in front of our building during the dark hours, and, and I broke my patella, you know, right in half. Split it right in half. Now, I'm going to tell you, that is a, this is a very small bone, but it's a very important bone. And I, I discovered that very, very quickly. And my, my leg, my left leg, was immobilized for seven weeks as that t- in order for the, uh, for the bone to heal. And that was quite a long time. And, and I, I, the doctor told me, well, some atrophy is going to happen because your leg is immobilized. But, what I, but, but I'll never forget, it was about, I was about five weeks into this period, and, and I was, you know, my leg was, was in the cast, and, and I was just kind of thumping on my legs like this, and I noticed, like, like there's no muscle there. There's, there's nothing there. I can push my fingers all the way down. Like, what has happened to my leg? And that really kind of freaked me out. Uh, But I was kind of glad that I was eventually going to get this off, and I was thinking, well, here in a few weeks, I'll be jumping and running, and everything's going to be fine again. But but when when they finally saw that the bone was had set and it was healing and said, okay, now you're going to be able to, to get out of this cast and, and you're going to have to begin some, some physical therapy. I was at the doctor and I was laying down on the, on the bed. Rebecca, you were there with me and she, the doctor said, okay, lift your leg. Remember that? And I just went, no, she said, just lift your leg. I said, I literally cannot even lift it. There is no muscle there. And she, and she says, that's right. That's called atrophy. Now you see you have a lot of rehab to do and rebuilding of muscle. And that's what happens to us. If you're just going to sit still, what happens is there's a deterioration that's going to happen. If you're sitting still uh, spiritually or sitting still like in a relationship, not trying to make some some advances, if you're just sitting still with your business or if you're just sitting still, I'm just going to sit here and, and wait, nothing good is going to come of that. It's just going to continue to eat away. And you're going to find yourself in a situation that's much worse than you even are right now. And that's, that's a challenge for you right there. If we stay here, we will die. So staying idle is, hear me, it is the worst thing you can possibly do. And when you're in a, in a dark, dark place, please understand the temptation is to stay idle. But don't do it. And, and then there's the other thing, going backward. Going backward is not an option. I mean, the past is in the past. You gotta leave it there and quit dreaming about how wonderful it was back there in the past, but you can never go back there. And even if it was wonderful, you, it's, it's not for you. And a lot of times, our brains can make, make it feel like, oh, it was just so splendid, so wonderful back there when all these things were working for me. Well, it probably wasn't as good as you are imagining it was. It's just you're in a really low place, and so you're thinking it's gotta be better back there. But no, you, you cannot go back. Going backward is death. That's, what they, that's why they said in verse 4, said if we say we'll go back into the city, this famine is there and we will what? Die. We'll die. Guys, leave your past behind. It cannot be changed. If you go backward, you're going to die. You can't just sit and you can't go backwards. <laughs> and, 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 and part of this is when you start realizing you can't do all these various things, you might start taking upon yourself a motto for your life. Well, my new motto is I can't. I just can't. I can't. Well, that's pretty dangerous, too, because you need to reject the I can't notion, because I can't is going to keep you immobilized. It's going to reassure you that you don't have the power. I'm just going to reassure my faith by saying I can't, that, 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 that I don't have the faith, that I don't have the intelligence or the favor or the strength or the relationships or the ability to move forward. I can't. I can't. I 
can't, and you have talked yourself in to continuing to sit still. You've got to break out of that I can't notion. Leave it in the past. Get rid of that. Take those words out of your life. Parents, when I was raising kids, when we were raising kids at home, it's always fun talking to parents, you know, after you've always raised your kids and, and they're gone. Uh, and, and, then, and then parents are like, oh, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. It's like, well, here's one of those things. Never let your child say, I can't. I can't. Because as soon as one of our kids would say, I can't, there was a little scripture. We would, say, we would make them memorize it. Yes, I was, I was a mean parent. I made them memorize scripture. It was like, oh, yeah. That's a really mean. I said, no, the scripture says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we would come back around and they, when they would say I can, I was like, well, what does the Bible say? I don't want to say it. What does the Bible say? But I don't want to say it. No, you're going to say it. What does the Bible say? I can do. Uh, you what? I can do. You can? And they would start laughing. Yeah, I can. Well, then there's a way. There's a way for us to do this. You see, you've got to reject I can't. And I know you might have a lot of excuses. I mean, like, like the lepers. Well, I have leprosy, so I can't. I mean, my fingers and toes are falling off. Like, I could really run out there to the camp. I can't do that. Nobody cares about me. I just feel dejected and alone, and, and I can hardly walk. Or, or what about this one? Why did God do this to me? Why did God allow this to happen? I just, no, you've got to break out of that. Stop making excuses. Stop rehearsing your problems and excuses. Quit playing them over and over in your mind. Sometimes if you were to actually say the things that are going over and over in your mind, you'd realize what a desperate situation that you're in. All that does is that just quenches your faith. And, and whatever you fix your eyes upon, that's what's, that's what's going to consume you. Whatever you fix your eyes on, that's what's eventually going to take over you. So if you're fixing your eyes on the negativity, then that's going to consume you and it's going to keep you locked down. And that's not God's plan for you. That's why we need to rehearse the word of God, say the word of God. Just begin to say it. Read it in the scriptures, and when you see a scripture that, that that speaks to you, you underline it, and you and you you share it on social media, or you 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 cut it out. I don't know if you cut things out of your Bible. I've never done that before, but but you know, just do, do something like that and get it in front of you, and so that you're going to have something to lean into. Get the Word of God. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. And there was a uh, song that we used to sing when I was a kid. We used to sing it in church, and. Chorus said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I love that song because it just, it speaks to the reality of we've got to look in the right direction. It's looking at him. Now, in our story that we're looking at today in the, in the Bible narrative, these lepers, they just had the smallest little bit of faith. Well, well we, we've got to do it. And it was a, but it was enough faith to get them to get onto their feet and, and start moving them. And I really believe that God, of course, God worked behind the scenes. And God was doing something else that they didn't even know about. But at the same time, I believe that God put it in their hearts to take the steps. Now, hear me. You might think that the idea or the strategy or the steps that you might take, there's just some little fantasy in your mind that it's not going to work. But see what they did is they conferred with one another. They shared it with one another. And those thoughts, those ideas to get on their feet and start moving, that came from God. That came from God. And if they had not obeyed the voice of God and had not taken action, the city would have continued to be in siege. People would continue eating their own children. That's and you do not know what your action might do for somebody else. 
for somebody else. There might be somebody else that you're not even thinking about that's going to be incredibly blessed by the action that you take. I love it because in verse 4 they said, let's go. I love those two words, let's go over to the camp of the Arameans. Let's go, let's go. And I'm telling you, even for the church itself, church and this church, we, are, we will mobilize. We are mobilizing and we're going to take action. It is a dark hour in our culture, but we're going to take action. And I know that, that in, in the culture right now, pressures on Christians, they're, they're growing in the, in the workplace and, and in the culture at large. And, and I also know that people are drifting away from faith for the sake of convenience, but we will not. We will mobilize. We will occupy. That's why Wednesday, that's why Tuesday night, this week, Tuesday night, we're calling, calling you together. If you're a business leader, come together and let's discuss how we can mobilize and how you can be mobilized and how you can get together with other business leaders and make a difference in the community make a difference for the sake of Jesus Christ because honestly that's what we're on this earth for anyway let's go let's go and, and here's another thing you need to believe that God is going before you you just simply need to believe it God went before the lepers and he's going to go before you as well he goes before you when you start taking some steps so I'm saying mobilize your life mobilize your business mobilize your family mobilize your church because God is going before you Luke chapter 11 verse 9 uh, if you have the opportunity to turn there, I'd love for you just to look at that. Luke eleven nine, When Jesus was teaching, he said these words, and this is a, a popular scripture. A lot of people know it. But he says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be what? Given to you. You know that. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And keep reading. The next verse says, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone is everyone, okay? The one who seeks, finds. The one who dock, knocks, the door will be open. Now, now hold on there for just a second, because I know some of you might say, well, it didn't happen for me. I sought something, and I knocked on the door, and nothing happened. No, you got to keep knocking. you got to keep knocking. Because these words, these are actually, it, the, the, the way these words are actually written, the better translation of this would be, so I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given to you. So you don't stop. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps asking, receives. For everyone who keeps seeking, will find. To the one who keeps knocking, the door will be open. When I was 12 years old, I had a newspaper route. I lived in this, I lived up north for a couple of years. It was miserable, really. But uh, we, we left Texas, but my family came right back here as soon as we could. But we lived up there for a couple of years. I lived in Hastings, Nebraska, and, uh, and I had a newspaper route. That's back when kids had newspaper routes. And that was my first, like, real legit job. And so I would go and get the newspapers, bring them home, and fold them seven days a week. That was my job. But it was an afternoon. Uh, it, was, it was an evening newspaper, so we'd pick, pick them up in the afternoon and do the, do the paper route. But we would, we would also have to do something called collect. That's when you go and get the money from the people for the newspapers that you're delivering. And there was this one house, and I would knock, and, and it would be cold outside. I'm like, I, I can't. I can't keep knocking. They're, they're not coming to the door. And one month, two months, three months would go by, and they started owing me some money because I had to buy the newspapers, and those people had to pay me for the newspapers in the service of delivering them. See, that's how it worked. So I, 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 I can't keep losing money giving you guys free newspapers. And I remember one night, I said, I'm going out there. And, and my parents said, no, it is 10 degrees outside. I said, I'm going out there. They owe me $15. 
three months worth, and they're going to pay up. And so I went out there, and, and my, well, actually, my parents went with me. They said, okay, we're going to take, take the car. We're going to go out there because it's dark. And at this point, it was about 930, 12-year-old kid at 930, 10 degrees outside. And now, of course, so my parents were, were nice to me. They took the car, and I went up there, and I knocked. I had my gloves on. I knocked. No answer. I knocked. I, knocked. I took my glove off, and I remember I banged it. My knuckles were sore. My knuckles turned red. My knuckles started cracking. And I just, I'm going to keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking, knock, 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 knock. It was painful. I went back to the car, and, and they said, let's just go. We'll come back another day. I said, no, I am going to get that money from them. And so we went back, and I kept knocking and knocking and knocking. I remember how bad that felt. It hurt. The cold, you know, knocking on a door in cold, it's just, it's just, it's miserable, especially when you're 12. But finally, they opened the door, and they said, oh, sorry, we've, we've been missing you. I'm like, yeah, right, you pay up. Of course, I was nice about it. I was so happy to see them, and, and then they gave me the money. They gave me that money, and I made change for them, and, and we got that money. I put that money in my pocket. I felt so good, but the only way I got that is I kept on knocking, kept on knocking, kept on knocking. I kept on knocking. Guys, the miracle is out there, but you can't give up hope. Here's my challenge to you, is to mobilize. Mobilize. Get up and go. Mobilize. Get up and go. You can't stay put. Don't allow a spirit of discouragement to overtake you. Don't allow hopelessness to order your steps. Your steps are supposed to be ordered by God, not by hopelessness. And and make the decision that you're going to reject defeat. You're going to reject rejection that's even happened in your life. You're going to pray for God's grace, God's mercy on your life. Because God hears and God answers prayer. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep moving forward no matter how desperate it looks. Because one small step, one small action might change everything, not just for you, but for a whole lot of other people around you. I love it because verse 5 says, At dusk, they got up and went. They got up and went. As soon as it became night, I thought, nobody's going to see us lepers at night. So, Because we're ugly during the day. So, But at night, nobody's going to see us. And, and they get up, and they're moving along. And they got up that's what changed everything. They got up and went. They got up and went. And what are you going to do? That's my, that's my big question. What are you going to do? Right now, I just want everyone in this room just to move yourself into a position of prayer because I believe God has spoken to some of you to give, and has given you strategies, has given you faith, has given you encouragement for some things you need to do, take action on and some attitudes that possibly need to change. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want you to receive this prayer. Lord, I pray right now for every person in this room, every person who's hearing me, every person who's watching online, and I pray for a spirit of of Holy Spirit confidence to take over. God, I pray that they will get up on their feet and stop complaining, and that we we will not look at the problems, but we'll look at the possibilities. I pray for increased faith, and I pray that, God, we will be people of action that this church will be a church of action, that we're going to do what needs to be done and we're going to go above and beyond and we're going to keep seeking, we're going to keep knocking, we're going to keep asking because you, God, are the one who rewards those types of behaviors and we're going to do that. God, I pray that, that, that anyone who is facing incredible discouragement and feels like they can't even get on their feet, I pray right now just for an inundation of, of, of Holy Spirit life and encouragement and invigoration, almost just like energy to get up and move, to get up and move in Jesus' name. 
Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.